Hello, fellow travellers on the highway of life. This is Adam Piggott, Pushing Rubber Podcast, episode 61. Coming to you from a pretty miserable day here in Holland. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for being you. How about that? Who's ever said that to you before? Thanks for being you. You must. That must feel, make you feel good. Hmm? I have a few lefty friends on Facebook, and one of them posted. She, she's a genuine cat lady. A genuine cat lady. <laughs> Fucking. Love. And she's younger than me. Um. I. Uh, let's have a look here. She uh, posted today on Facebook. This is someone who, who spreads their whole life on social media and really shouldn't. Uh, she's a complete meltdown, but I've known her since childhood, so uh, I, feel, I feel like um, I should just stay there, you know, link to her on Facebook. But also, it's like a, uh, a train crash. You just, you just can't look away. Um, and she's got all the typical lefty feminist problems. I, I don't think she's, she's probably in her early 40s. She's, she has to be a virgin, absolutely has to be a virgin. Um, overweight, myriad of health problems. Uh, all, all of this is self-inflicted. All of it is self-inflicted. And constantly, she's a literal cat lady, um, constantly putting her life problems all over Facebook and I assume other social media, but I only follow her. Uh, I got this one she put up. Unless you are paying my bills, keep your damn nose out of my life, my work, my business. Take your perceptions of who and what I am to your bloody self. Clearly your life is a pathetic waste of time if you are constantly commenting on others' existence. This is from a person who constantly puts their existence in places where other people can comment on it. I mean, the lack of self-awareness is brilliant. And then she had another one here just, uh, just after it. Just a reminder to anyone that needs it. My door is o always open. My home is tiny but safe. So I guess, I guess that's what you call a safe space then. You just have to wade through the cat. Coffee, tea can be on in minutes, and the dining table is a place of peace and non-judgment, as opposed to a Facebook feed. Uh, anyone who needs to chat is welcome any time. <laughs> what about Trump supporters? Never suffer in silence. I have food in the fridge, coffee and tea in the cupboard, plenty of booze, listening ears and shoulders to cry on. We will always be available, and you are always welcome. What's this we shit? What, her and the cats? This is an old value that's been... Oh. Well, I don't know what made me think of that. Maybe it's the thing I was talking about, safe spaces. Safe spaces. God, safe spaces. Um, so, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, so it's just, it's just good entertainment value. Just good entertainment. Uh, let's get right into it. Um, I'm just going to... just got a few things written here that I want to uh, talk about. Um, Maddie's Modern Life, uh, he's, uh, he writes for XYZ Magazine, and XYZ Magazine is an Australian online magazine that republishes a lot of my stuff, and I'm happy to support them, and they've got me a lot of uh, regular readers. 
over the last uh, nine months or so that I've been putting. But Maddie's Modern Life is uh, uh, another guy who posts over there. And um, he recently got banned from Facebook for a month for saying that there are only two genders. And he put a bit of a, uh, a YouTube rant up about this, which was rather funny. Um, but as I, as I pointed out to him, being banned like this from Facebook for, for saying that there are only two genders is obviously sinister and ridiculous. Uh, but technically, Maddie uh, is quite incorrect. Because there can be as many genders as uh, these retards want to make up for themselves. Because it is their word. It is their word. Uh, before 1955, the term gender was only used in regards to grammar. That's it. Uh, and then a sexologist came along, I can't remember his name, John something. Uh, he introduced the term to differentiate between biological sex and gender as a role, which didn't really go anywhere. But then in the 70s, uh, when the second wave of feminism had crashed and burned hard, uh, the remaining feminist uh, loonies ran with it hard. It's their word. It's their word. Which is why I just refuse to use it. I refuse to use the word gender. Sometimes I make a mistake and I uh, and it drops out just because they've been shoving it down. You do not do not use the left's terminology. If you use their terminology, you're buying into <clears throat> their agenda. You're letting them control the language. You're accepting their um, their twist twist their twisting of the language. Hate speech. Never going to use that. There's no such thing anyway. Gender is another classical term. You want to talk about male and female? These are sexes, biological sexes. <laughs> Have as many genders as you want. I don't care. You can you can call yourself whatever you want. You are you are male though, or you are female. Oh, I'm not. A, well, that's a biological sex, darling. You can't do anything about that. You cannot do anything about it. You can chop off bits. You can mutilate yourself. You can you can flood your body with horrible drugs that twist your hormones in terrible ways. Uh, and by the way, just so you know, 40% of, uh, of transsexuals, transsexuals, not transgender. See how they tried to change the language? It was transsexual. They changed it to transgender. So many people have accepted that, transsexual. Use the right terminology, boys and girls. Always use the original terminology Never ever use the left's language. As soon as, if you're having an argument with someone on the left and you use their language, they already know they've got you because you're literally operating on their ground. That's why they come up with new terms. Don't buy into it. It's very important, this actually. This was just like an aside. I was, I just written down here, I've got a bunch of things I want to talk about, but it's really important. Don't use the left's language. I should probably think up a, I should get a language list together. A language list of uh, left terms that you just shouldn't use. That's not a bad idea. I'll write that down. Uh, language list of... If you listen to this and you can think of any other lefty terms, just, that's just popped into your head now, throw it in the comments. Um, because these things, this is why I'm writing this down now. Often you hear something for the first time and something pops into your head. Ding! If something just popped into your head, just make a comment now on SoundCloud or on the blog itself. The language list of lefty terms. The language list of lefty terms. I like that because there's a fair bit of alliteration there. 
uh, and alliteration, for those of you who don't know, is getting the rhyme wrong. Okay, uh, so yeah, Maddie, you're wrong. They can have 100 million. And look, and I encourage, I encourage the progress prog loody left, the SJW idiots, to, to come up with as many ter ter gender terms. They can come up with 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, 500,000, a million. The more they do it, the crazier they are and the more they're living in their insanity. Just don't buy into it. Oh, you can call yourself a unicorn if you want, mate. Go for your life. I'm not going to stop you calling a unicorn, but I'm not going to call you one. All right. So that's uh, that was a little quick thing there on uh, on uh, gender. Uh, what else we got? Um, Big news last week has been this whole Trump thing with this uh, idiot Democrat senator. Uh, there was a, uh, a US Marine, I think it was, got killed overseas. I think there was like four of them that got killed. And anyway, Trump made a phone call to each of the uh, uh, families concerned. And I think this Democrat senator was in the, the vehicle where the phone when when Trump called this uh, the wife, the widow of uh, one of the deceased um uh, U.S. servicemen, and she twisted it and didn't even even hear Trump's side of the conversation, unless it was on speakerphone. But she twisted the whole thing, rambled it, and just a, a horrible piece of shit. My question, though, is what the fuck are the U.S. doing in Niger? Because that's where this guy got killed. Now, Niger, if I'm not mistaken, is on the west coast of Africa. Look, pretty sure it is. Yep, no, it's not on the west coast, it's inland. Uh, wow, that's in a shithole. Fuck. You know you're a shithole when your neighbours are Algeria, Libya, Chad, Nigeria, Benin, Burkina Faso, and Mali. I mean, Africa's a shithole, but I'm looking now at the map. And Niger would have to be the shithole of the shitholes. El shithole uh, Rooney. I mean, look at that. My God. Why on earth would you ever want to go there? We zoom in and there's just nothing here. So what are they doing in Niger? Well, obviously what they're doing is they're trying to kill Al-Qaeda. Or something if it's there it's got a border with Libya so they're coming down ISIS or whatever the hell they're doing but why 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 is the US doing this why what the fuck are they doing there I thought I really thought Trump was just gonna wasn't that a big part of his you know thing stop all of this you know being the empire dun 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 that's where if I had my shit together I'd just play a shot of the Darth Vader waltz now and seriously, what are they doing in Niger? I just can't think of a single good reason to be in Niger. Not a single one. The whole of Niger, let it let it go to the is what what it, it, it and and who gives a fuck? It's like people are saying that a few weeks ago were crapping on about North Korea and, and nuclear weapons. Oh, it's just like America could nuke North Korea out of existence. Apart from the Koreans and probably the Japs, and yeah, probably the Chinese. Who would give a fuck? Fucking hell. Does that make me a bad person? I hope so. 
So yeah, what are, what are they doing in Niger? Just come on, President Trump, pull them out, pull them out. What are your troops still doing in Germany? Pull them out. Japan, pull them out. Korea, for God's sake, pull them out. Pull them out. Who cares? It's a point anyway. If it, if it blows up, the Koreans are just going to use nuclear weapons immediately. What are your troops going to do apart from die with everyone else? Just, just pull them all out. Save yourself some money. Save yourself some money. Pull them out, get back to your country, and start sorting out your internal domestic enemies, is what I'd say. You know, your Antifas and that sort of thing, your Black Lives Matter. Start sorting them out properly. Keep it moving. All right, so next item. That's crossed off. If anyone could tell me what the fuck the US forces are doing in Niger. Well, I know what they're doing, but it just, it just it blows my mind. Blows my mind. If, 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 it was, if it was the Obama presidency, it wouldn't even blink. Uh, US troops are currently uh, hunting rebels in Antarctica. Yeah, yeah sure, of course. But Trump, please, come on, please, please pull him out, pull him out. Speaking of Africa, Nairobi, or as we used to call it back in the day when I lived over in Africa, Nairobi. Kenya was a scary place. Like people said to me, you know, oh, Uganda, that must have been scary. Nah, not really. Uganda was fine. Ugandans were, uh, well, back then at least, I don't know what it's like now. But back then, Ugandans were intrigued by white people, and this is why. Because uh, a lot of uh, Uganda is um, Christian or Catholic or, you know, some sort of Jesus religion. And they believed that uh, Jesus was white and we're white. So because of that, we're pretty close to Jesus. And oh, I never dissuaded them of this uh, this idea. So I had a few scary moments in, in Uganda. I was in Uganda for almost two years and I can count the, the tricky situations on one hand, and I wouldn't need all the fingers. Um, I went to Nairobi once. I was there for three days, and it was fucking scary. Uh, we got there. Um, it's an interesting story because I was going to um, the Australian uh, diplomatic uh, community there had a Melbourne Cup the Melbourne Cup runs in um, the first Tuesday in November. It's a horse race in Australia. And they had a Melbourne Cup ball. And myself and another rafting guide, a good friend of mine who I referred to in the uh, my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, as Milo, we got invited to go because uh, we met up, we'd met with one of the the the, uh, the diplomat from. Kenya, Australian diplomat, came across to speak with us in um, Kampala because uh, they were like, you know, you guys could put, should put yourself on the register of uh, of um, Aussies overseas. You know, if there's any problems, we can pull you out. Oh, and uh, and we told them to get fucked because we said, no, nah, no, nah, you just want to take all our money, make us pay tax when we go back to Australia. And uh, that was pretty funny. But they, they thought that was amusing that we were so stupid to say that. Oh, by the way, we were so, then it wasn't the case. Now it is. <laughs> Now the Aussies will tax you overseas like the Americans. Um, but anyway, Milo and I just got, you know, we're funny guys. And and it was, uh, the, it was a chick who came across and we charmed her, of course. And she was like, uh, she emailed us a couple of days later and said, oh, you guys have got to come across for this, uh, this um, 
Melbourne Cup ball. And we're like, yeah, right. And they said it's a dress-up party. And Milo and I were like, oh, what are we going to dress up as? What are we going to do? What are we going to dress up as? And then we had the brilliant idea of dressing up uh, in thong suits. So thongs, we call thongs in Australia. I think what in America you call flip-flops, you know, the little, the little plastic sandals you put on your feet. And you could buy, uh, you could buy thongs, uh, flip-flops, really cheaply in Uganda. I think like a pair cost um, five cents or something. And you get little tiny kids ones. So what we did was uh, we got all these green and yellow ones because green and gold are the colours of Australia. And I made, we made suit jackets. We literally stitched these things together and made suit jackets. Uh, I was the yellow and Mick was the green. Uh, and, um, and we went to the ball wearing those and we rocked up. Remember we walked in and it, we were early and it was in this, it was in the, uh, Australian embassy, something or other, it was, you know, security and all the rest of it. But downstairs there was a, there was an Irish pub or something. And it was also the day, this was 1999. It was also the semi-final of Australia versus South Africa in the world rugby championships. And we rocked up and we're like, oh, we're a bit early. Let's go into this bar for a drink. Now, don't forget, we're wearing thong jackets here. And we walk into this. We didn't know that the, the rugby was on. We walk into this bar. This is in Nairobi. And the place fucking lost it. It went absolutely wild. And because you know, we're wearing green and gold thong jackets, they just people were just screaming at how home. Let's just say we we're having a brilliant time at that bar, which was packed with Aussies and South Africans. And there were heaps of chicks. Um... To the point where, where the the Aussie diplomats sent down someone to find us because they were pretty desperate for us to be there. And afterwards, we found out why because it was just full of Kenyan cowboys and it was a pretty boring night. We should have stayed in the bar to be honest. We would have got so lucky there. Um, but getting back to my point, we we rocked up in Nairobi and uh, we were there for about twenty minutes, and I saw my first mugging at gunpoint. We were sitting in a bar having a drink. This was in the afternoon of the day we got there. And it literally happened in front of us three times in about 25 minutes in the centre of the city. And um, that was just, it was just, it's just, we just completely like couldn't believe it. We're just, it was, it was like our, our entertainment while we were drinking beers in the late afternoon in the centre of the city, watching people get mugged, gunpoint. And it wasn't white people getting mugged. It was black people mugging black people. You, uh, Kenyans uh, mugging Kenyans. And the other thing about Kenyans, they don't, unlike the Ugandans, they don't like the whites. But Kenyans, unlike Uganda, Kenya fought a war, a war to get rid of the British colonial, horrible, horrible colonialists in the late 50s and early 60s. And it was pretty vicious, a Mau Mau uh, war there. And uh, so they don't like whites. So very, very, lots of aggro, very antagonistic. Um, spent two or three days there in Nairobi and never went back. And I'll, I'll never go back again. I'll guarantee you that one. So why am I talking about this? An Australian teacher was uh, shot and killed last week in Nairobi. Um, in what was described last week in the press, the Australian press is a... Uh, a robbery gone wrong. I, I, what, what's a robbery gone right, by the way? I never get this, oh, the robbery went wrong. Look, as soon as you started to rob 
someone, everything's going wrong from that point on. There's no robbery gone right. Robbery gone wrong. Fucking me. But the way that it was like, she just basically got popped in the head. And, and this was in a really, really wealthy part because she was over there uh, teaching. Uh, not just teaching, but um, she was running really a really uh, 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 high up school. I'm trying to find it. Um, she was running a very, very important school over there for expat kids, I think. 40-year-old woman. Um, anyway, I thought this was weird. I thought... Kenyans don't just go around popping you in the head when you drive around in your car just because they feel like it, especially in that area of Nairobi. We're talking like green leafy boulevards um, and lots of private security around that area. It just, it just doesn't. It's just like really, really weird. And it didn't look like a... To me, when I read it, I thought, that's not a robbery, that's a hit. And who goes out shooting white school teacher principals mother of two 40 year old mother of twos over in australians over there in Nairobi. It, it just didn't make any sense well lo and behold lo and behold turns out that they've arrested two men two kenyan men and the man the man apparently who's been arrested name is cirrus bernard mayena najuna that's kenyan by the way uh, and his accomplice, John Naguna Waitria. So we've got Naguna in both names. So they're related. Even though the, the first man is Naguna is at the end and the second one's in the middle, they're related. So they're helping each other out. And who is the first man? Her estranged husband. So our Australian teacher went and married a Kenyan and uh, had two kids with him back in Australia, and then it all went to shit. Surprise the fucking prize. He goes back, he goes back to Kenya. But then, then, I'll quote from the thing. The 40-year-old, this is the woman, moved to Nairobi from Sydney in 2015 so her two sons could experience another culture and grow up near her husband's extended family, a friend told AAP this week. How'd that work out for you? So she's going to come over here to Nairobi, take a, a very high-paying job as far as Kenyans are concerned, have an elite status. What she's doing is she's rubbing it in her estranged husband's face the whole fucking time, whether she knows it or not. And he's gone and popped her. Apparently... Um, by the way... Her lawyer told that was in the midst of the forward proceedings in the Kenyan courts after the 40-year-old had been granted a restraining order against her husband in April. So she's living in Nairobi. She's now divorcing. So sorry, I got this wrong. They didn't divorce in Australia. She's in the middle of a divorce proceedings in the Kenyan court. And she's an Australian woman. And they've given her a restraining order against her husband in April. Quote, she feared her estranged husband, dot, dot, dot. The husband had become very irrational, Mr. King Ori told AAP in a statement. That's her lawyer. Why was she staying in the country when this shit's going down? I mean, total screw loose. And here we have vibrancy for you.
Yeah, when uh, when 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 Australian men, you know, divorce, divorce an Australian man's an Australian woman, and you get everything, and he's got to take it up the ass and blah 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 blah. Do it over in Kenya, and it's two two bullets in the head, and they made a kneel. Well, they did it. They made her kneel. She was shot on her knees. Pop pop. Vibrancy, vibrancy. I read, I read last week that she's over there and she's got, and she's got shot and killed in Nairobi. And I thought there was something more to this. And now she was married to a Kenyan. She's moved back there, and then she's divorcing him in his own country in front of all his relatives. Fuck me dead. Fuck me dead. Dumb as dog shit. But. Western women from Anglo-Saxon countries go into places like Africa and they think they are back home. Whether it's Canada or Australia, or New Zealand, or England or America or whatever, they think they're back home and they act exactly if they're back home. And you know what? You know what that does? That gets you killed. That's what I, that's what I uh, that's what I talk about. The you, you stupid women complain about the patriarchy in Anglo-Saxon countries. Fuck me. Fuck me. Don't know how good it is. I saw a good one about patriarchy, actually. And that was like about the white, white, white people having privilege. And it was, uh, there's that, uh, that ridiculous American gridiron footballer, the Colin Kaepernick, whatever his name is. And he's apparently half black, half white. And someone said, you know, if, uh, if white people had privilege, then uh, half race people would be uh, declaring themselves white, not, not black, wouldn't they? a great point half half you got a black father or a black mother you got a white father whatever i'm black i'm black and i'm proud i'm black and i'm proud why are you walking around saying you're white and you're proud what's that because there's no privilege associated with that in modern anglo-saxon countries so um that was the story about uh the what's the point oh i've said the point I um I cancelled I've cancelled a few I actually cancelled a few when I lived in uh, Uganda and this is uh, this is getting close to twenty years ago now I um we, we we'd get to know all of the backpackers coming through because we took them all rafting all the time we were literally you know we were literally rock stars in that in 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 Kampala in Uganda and you'd be talking to these you know these white chicks and they're like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a yeah the next thing after i do this i'm going on a walking tour of let's say niger or mali or something like that and it'd be like i don't know i and you we just look at them and say well you're fucking stupid you're fucking stupid and the entitlement that they had so they talk about white privilege all the time it's it's, it's, it's we, we should just talk about feminist entitlement these chicks, and this was this was almost twenty years ago. It must be so much worse now. These chicks had no idea. They thought they could just waltz wherever they were going to go, and you know, I am woman, I am power. And this, we talked, we managed to talk a few out of it, and I and I and I remember, you could talk, you could talk Dutchies out of it. You could talk, um, you could talk Danish girls out of it. Uh, you could talk Norwegian chicks out of it. You could not talk Swedish chicks out of it. It was like talking to a brick wall. 
you could not talk German chicks out of it. Uh, and as for Anglo-Saxon girls from whatever Anglo-Saxon, forget about it. They were, we, you didn't even try. You only tried with the European girls. You only said, oh, you don't want to do this. This is a really bad idea. Dutch and Danish, especially, they'd look at you and go, oh, why? And then, well, this, this, this reason, this reason, this reason. It's fucking stupid. Don't do it. You've already paid? Cancel your fucking ticket. But I'll lose my money? Better than losing your life, sweetheart. And we, the, the Dutchies uh, and the Dutchies and the Danish, maybe that's why, why Dutch girls and Danish girls, very practical, very logical, and very open, in my experience, to rational argument. You don't want to do this, here's the reasons. And they take it and they compute it and they go, okay. Anglo-Saxon chicks, forget about it. Just forget about it. Swedish, there's a reason their country's being overrun. Anyway, anyway, moving right along, moving right along. Um, I got an email yesterday from Chris. And this is about um, the post article I wrote on Monday. I think it was called Winter is Coming Down Under. About the fact that uh, we've had the uh, this year we've had the European elections. The Germans had 30% go to the right. The Austrians have got a right, far right wing government now in place. The Czechs have got a um, anti EU president who's just been elected last weekend. The Dutch have finally formed a government and they've gone to the right and told the Greenies to go fuck themselves. Uh, that was after 206 days of you know negotiations. So the, the the Dutch have been without a government for 206 days, or the entire time I've been here, apart from you know last week. Economy's going gangbusters. The, the running joke here in Holland was the longer they take, the better off we are. Um, and on the other side, we've got New Zealand has just elected literally a 37-year-old female communist. Um, and by the way, these Kiwi women, don't these chicks go to dentists? Do you have no dentists in the whole of New Zealand? What is it? They say that this this new this new this new fuckwit communist female New Zealand Prime Minister is a big fan of Helen Clark, who was the last fuckwit female gay Kiwi Prime Minister. You, 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 you Kiwis obviously just don't learn. Um, one thing they've got in common is their teeth. Well, what is it with New Zealand women and their teeth? And I'll say it right here now. New Zealand women are the ugliest women in the Western world. The ugliest by far and I'm including girls from Wales in this. New Zealand women are bog ugly. It's the only thing I can think is you've been down there in this, in this teeny tiny corner of the world. I mean, the, the New Zealand population hasn't even reached 5 million yet. You've been down there and you have inbred your way. I don't know what's going on down there. But constantly, I can, I can let me think of hot Dutch chicks. Oh, I've met one very hot very hot emma if you're listening to this emma was a very very hot dutch chick still hot um yeah, that's it god, what is it with your women oh my god anyway in this uh, article i said look you know when i moved to uh, holland i said i was moving to holland people back in australia were like why are you doing that you're crazy you know we're you know, you're going over there and... Uh, and the, the consensus was like, yes, we know we're fucked economically in Australia, but you're going to where there's hordes of, you know, migrants and they've taken over the country. I've got here and all I see are white faces. Go down to the local McDonald's, you're getting spotty, 
17-year-old duchies, not an Indian, a Chinaman, an African, or a, or a sub-Saharan, Algerian, bloody Middle Eastern to be seen. Do the same in Melbourne and Sydney. You won't, you won't see. You'll see. You'll see everything I mentioned except for whites. You know, it's just so ironic. Thirty percent of Australia's population currently born overseas. It goes up to fifty percent if uh, a person living in Australia has one parent born overseas. I mean, you, you, this doesn't include the kids they've had since they've been there. You must be fucking joking. So when I when I went moved to the hot Netherlands, this is what I was getting. I was like, I'm getting out. It was a strategic decision that my wife and I made to leave Australia. We looked at it and went, we don't like the way this is going. We're going to go back to Europe. And within, I've been here. What I haven't even been here four months, and the rise of nationalism over here is, is 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 absolutely fantastic. And then to counter this, we've got what's going on in Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand were humming along fine, and they've just literally elected a thirty-seven-year-old communist who thinks capitalism is is uh, is awful. And let me let me just read here. I'll just get it up here. Here's what she said in her uh, in her in first interview. Uh, New Zealand Prime Minister-elect Jacinda Ardern. Jacinda, you 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 elected someone called Jacinda to be your uh, fucking hell. Has described capitalism as, capitalism as a quote blatant failure unquote in the country, nominating poverty and homelessness as her priorities when she takes office. Um, Asked if capitalism had failed New Zealanders on low incomes, Miss Ardham was blunt. Quote, if you have hundreds of thousands of children living in homes without enough to survive, that's a blatant failure. What else would you describe it as? Hundreds of thousands of children with not enough to survive. That means dying, by the way. With not enough to survive, that means you die. What's going on in New Zealand? Oh, my God. They're giving Somalia a run for their money on the uh, child, child mortality stakes. <laughs> this is what you just selected. Look. Australia is economically on a precipice. They've got the biggest housing bubble in the history of the world. You're one election away from electing your own communist government that will finish the job that the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd term did. You're one election away from the SJWs marching into office. And it's, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be absolutely brutal. The funny thing when I left was that uh, four months ago was that people were saying to me, yeah, we're thinking of getting out too. We're thinking of going to, to uh, New Zealand. And I was just like, New Zealand? What are you talking about? They're in exactly the same boat. All right. So I get this, I get this uh, 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 hi, Adam. Uh, I have a negative view of Australia's future. See a severe recession as a base case. Expect the population of Melbourne to hit 8 million by 2040. Yep. It's over 4 million now. In a, in a city that's, that, that, the, that the, the structure of the city is probably designed for about 1.5 mil. And know enough history to be paranoid. I have looked at other countries I might move to. Uh, is in Chile now on a holiday scouting trip and plan to go to the Czech Republic in 2018 to visit. The question for me is where else to go? Uh, I'll skip the next bit because it's got personal details. Despite all the problems in Australia, we still have it better than most. The question is how far we fall and how fast. Uh, I'd like to know if you have any firm opinions on that question or just a sense of the general trajectory 
And in my article, he also wrote a question which I hadn't responded to. So how far, same guy. So how far do you expect Australia to fall? South Korea, Hungary, Argentina, Bulgaria? Okay. First of all, South Korea is in front of Australia. He originally said, could we be as bad as Singapore? And I was just like, Singapore's way in front of Australia right now. South Korea is way in front of Australia right now, even though they've got a you know, megalomaniac with nuclear weapons on their uh, doorstep. Hungary. Um, haven't been to Hungary. Matt Forney's in Hungary. He'd know. Um, I'd say it's probably about level, but probably, probably economically behind Australia, culturally way in front of Hungary. Argentina. Mm. Argentina. Argentina at the turn of the 20th century, so around 100 years ago, uh, was the place to go to in the world. They had the fastest growing economy. They were absolutely shitting it in. And uh, then they uh, elected some socialist fucktards and it all went to shit and it's been to shit ever since. They've never recovered. It's just leftyville down there. Lefty, lefty, lefty socialistville. Um, could Australia do a, an Argentina? I think Argentina would be getting off lightly, to be honest. I think Argentina... No, Argentina had a decent, brutal internal... Uh, Civil War, the generals took over, Marxists killed a lot of uh, people in the 70s, um, challenged England to a, a war and got their face uh, mashed, 1982 Falklands. I think, I think Australia, Argentina, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's where Australia's going. That's where Australia's going for sure, I think. Uh, where, is, where was Australia gonna go? Um, how far are they going to fall and how fast? Well, first of all, you're only one election away from it. And when these things go south, they, get, they, they, they can go south very, very fast indeed. Very fast. I mean, just, look at, uh, just look at 1930s Germany. I mean, Hitler didn't get to power until what? Let's have a look. Is it 1933? Hitler got to power. Let's see. I'm pretty sure it was 1933. Uh, yeah, it was appointed Chancellor 30th of January 1933. Um, so 1933 takes power. So if you were a Jew living in Germany in 1933, everything was going fine. Um, let's have a look. Have a look here. When did it really start? Here we go, Nazi Germany. Let's have a look. Uh, let's have a look here. Oppression of Jews, persecution of Jews, anti-Jewish legislation and free will Nazi Germany. So the Germans get uh, the Nazis get elected in nineteen. Hitler gets elected in nineteen thirty-three. On the 31st of January, on the 24th of March, 1933, so less than two months later, um, they passed the Enabling Act, which established the power of the Nazi Party to pass law by decree, bypassing the approval of Parliament. So just effectively nullified the uh, Weimar Constitution. They did that in the first six weeks. Uh, 
The next month, in April, they passed a law for the restoration of professional civil service law, uh, which enabled them to legally remove undesirables from this, which meant whatever they thought termed as, remember, they, they controlled the terminology, from the civil service professions, including doctors, teachers, and lawyers. When did it really get going? So literally, we're talking... Um, they passed a law in April that year so about schooling and education. July 1933, citizenship and denaturalisation law. Um, as a result of this law, so they passed this five months after getting to power, six months after getting to power, the right government could take away the citizenship of those who were deemed, in quote, undesirable, applying to anyone who had been given citizenship for the Weimar government. Those who saw the results of this first law were 150,000 Eastern Jews in Germany. Then they did a hereditary farm law that... Here's, here's the first specific anti-Jewish law, September 29th, 1933. Uh... This law excluded Jews from owning farmland or engaging in agriculture. It stated that only Germans could now be farmers. Though the law had minimal effect due to the lack of Jews involved in farming, it still displayed a central idea of the Nazi party. Now, this is classic. So, obviously, the Germans passed this. The Germans knew that it would have minimal effect because there weren't many, many Jews in farming at all. But it was obviously a test run. Let's put this through. It will have minimal effect. See if the population gets antsy with this, or see if everyone goes, just shrugs and goes, meh, whatever. Population shrugged and went, ah, oh, whatever. Um, then, the same month, the power of Jewish cultural life in Germany was transferred to Joseph Goebbels, who established chambers of culture that would regulate activity of their chamber of either. If you were a Jew living in, in Germany, at the beginning of the new year in 1933, everything would have been going fine. By the end of that same year, you would have been in a lot of trouble and you would have been starting to get out. The Nuremberg Laws uh, was when things really got going and that was September 1935. So how quick can it go south? How quick can a government intent on destroying a country get things done quickly, very, very quickly? So Chris, and people living in Australia, you're one election away. You're one election away from the idiots getting in. Um, so how far will you fall and how fast? Let's look at history, man. And there's plenty of examples. I, I just use I just use Nazi Germany because um, people are so familiar with it in a general sense that it's just it's it's great for a for a test case. But I mean, recent history. What about Cambodia? How fast can it? How fast can it fall? How far can it fall and how fast? Have a look at Cambodia, mate, when the Khmer Rouge got in in 1975. What did they kill? Five million people in three years? It can fall fast and it can fall far. And there's there's plenty, of, plenty of examples of that. How far will it? I don't know. Um... Despite all the problems, this is what he also said, I'm going to repeat it. Despite all the problems in Australia, we still have it better than most. No, you don't. No, no, you don't. You really don't. You really don't. We, we don't have it better than most. 
Uh, when you can be arrested for letting your 11-year-old go and play in the park by themselves, you don't have it better than most. When you come into Melbourne Airport and it's literally like coming into the third world after coming from somewhere like Singapore or, or Amsterdam, you don't have it better than most. When there, when there are street signs in the street in Melbourne telling you not to shit on the streets, you, you don't have it better than most. You don't. You have the illusion of having it better than most because, and look, you're in Chile now. So yeah, yeah look, South America, South America's a shithole. South America's a general shithole. Name me, name me one country in South America that's not, not generally a shithole. They're all, they're all shitholes. The whole of South America's a shithole. Argentina was the one country that wasn't a shithole, and then they fucked it up and it turned it into a socialist shithole. And they still haven't recovered. When you go next year, Chris, though, to the Czech Republic, I think that will, uh, uh, that will be uh, more interesting for you, because uh, that's, that's not a shithole. And you should also go around some more, more places and check them out as well. So for those of you in, uh, in, in Australia or New Zealand or, or places like this, where would you go? Where would you go? Um, well, it, and by the way, I really want, make, want to make this clear. It's not easy. It's not easy to leave, leave the country. I mean, what, what my wife and I, the good wife and I have just done, uh, it's, it's hard and it gets harder the older you get this is the third time I've done this in six years it is hard you have to completely reinvent yourself in the case of Holland I have to learn another language you, you turn up to a place and you have zero network and you've got no idea how important network is for employment and that sort of thing until you haven't got one and I've had to rebuild network three times in the last six years and it is a pain in the ass. It really is. Um, it's, it costs a lot of money to pull yourself out, move yourself across the world, move all your stuff across the world, and the, the time on top of that that you're not working. Um, it's, it's incredibly daunting. And, and we moved to Holland because we, we've got the support here. We've got a connection through my wife, who is Dutch. Um, it's hard. And that's why so many Jews, no matter how many in German, Nazi Germany, no, no matter how many, the, the Germans are both just basically just, here we go, we're going to make life so hard for you, you're going to want to leave. A lot of Jews left Germany in the early 1930s. A lot of them went to uh, Palestine, or Israel. it wasn't Israel back then, it was British Palestine. A lot of them went there. Um, that's what that's what the German laws were. What were doing? The Germans were like, just get yourselves out. We're just going to make it hard for you. We're just going to make it hard, so you're going to want to leave. And if it, but so many didn't. So many didn't. Of course, the really unlucky Jews were the ones in neighbouring countries, you know, like France or Holland or you know, Czechoslovakia or that sort of thing, um, who weren't uh, <laughs> weren't putting up with this. And suddenly, the country's invaded. In Nineteen forty. The borders are shut. And you're fucked. You're on a train to Auschwitz. The luckier, the luckier Jews were the German Jews in uh, in retrospect, because at least they had a chance to make a strategic decision and get out. But so many didn't. So many didn't because it's just so hard. It's just so hard to, to move, and you never think that it's going to get that bad. So where would I go? Well, um, I'd go to uh, look if you. If I didn't have the connection to Holland with my wife, would I have come here? I don't know. I don't know about that. I probably would have gone to Singapore. 
I think Singapore is a really, really great, great choice, particularly for for young younger guys. Um, fantastic, true capitalism. That's true. It's the purest form of capitalism in the world right now. Is Singapore? Um, you, you've got basically a benevolent dictatorship, um, lowest tax rates in, in, in the world. You know, in the in developed world at least. Um, I think 15, 15% business tax rate there. And I think it's the same for personal income tax, or it might be even even, even lower. Um, great expat uh, network there. I was there for five days last year, met heaps and heaps of, uh, of, um, of expats, European expats. Um, great support network to set stuff up. If I was a young man, Singapore. Singapore's where I'd definitely go. Um, we didn't go to Singapore, my wife and I, because uh, the good wife does not like uh, and appreciate the tropical climate. Fine to take a holiday and visit, but to live year-round, she doesn't like it, can't handle it, and I, and I can understand that. Um, but for me, for me, it'd be Singapore, for sure. Um, failing that, Hungary, Czech Republic, um, I really like those two countries a lot. Um, I think uh, Hungary in particular, they've really got themselves screwed on with their, their nationalism. Um, they've basically, I, 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 don't be surprised if Hungary's the first country to pull out of the EU. Um, and if they do, it'd be harder to get in. Now's the time to go because now it's still... It's still, look, Hungary's still cheap. Um, you can get a, your foot in the door. Um, when the EU starts to break up and it all, and it all starts, and it's, it's every country for themselves, I, I, don't, I think the first thing they're going to do is just generally close their borders and make it a lot harder to get in. Um, so now's the, time, now's the time to get across and establish yourself. I, I really like the idea of Hungary. Um, I think the Czech Republic and Slovakia is good as well, um, and Slovenia, those those countries through there. Um, former Yugoslavia, like Croatia and uh, yeah, uh, I mean Slovenia is former Yugoslavia. The top half, all right. The bottom half, no. Poland, not that keen on Poland, just because. Um, a lot of Polish people I've met have been dicks, especially the guys, real dicks um, over the course of my life. Um, and their women are kind of insane, beautiful, but insane. Um, insane, there's a very Catholic country which is, has going for it. And they've got their nationalism and the borders all, you know, <laughs> they've got that sewn up. They're definitely telling you where to go. That could be a God. If you had to do a, um, I wonder if there's a if there's a bet, betting thing ring going of which country is going to pull out of the EU first. I mean, Hungary, Poland, Austria now, and Czech Republic. I mean, which one of those is going to do it first? Uh, I, I wouldn't want to put a bet on it. I just don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I'd be, I'd be. That's what I'd be looking at, man. I'd be looking at either Singapore. Um, I'd be looking at either Singapore or uh, Hungary, Czech Republic, 
Slovakia, maybe Slovenia. Um, if you um, if you um, are able to work also uh, in something like um, you can work from home, you can work remotely, like IT or something like that, or you can start building your life towards that. Um, so you're independent, your income is independent of location, then that becomes very useful to you as well. Um, if you haven't, if you, if your money, yeah. Singapore's much more expensive than these places. Whereas in Hungary and those sort of things, you can probably go in and, and look at purchasing property. Singapore, you'd be renting and charging an arm and leg, charge an arm and leg for it. Um, but the, but the salary is very high there. Singapore, I'd open a business. I'd open a business. I'd, I'd do a lot of networking beforehand, make contacts over there in whatever field you're looking at, try and get a job there, and then look at opening my own business as soon as I possibly could in Singapore. Um, Hungary, these places, um, Czech Republic, I'd be look, looking more in a, in a job that, that would be independent of location and then set myself up in some you know, picturesque little town somewhere that's living as cheap as hell and the girls are pretty and beautiful and cook well and treat you nice. I mean, what not, what's not to like? If you do move to a European country, though, the number one most important thing to do is to learn the language as quickly as possible. I mean, absolutely throw yourself into learning the language. Um, it's, it's important because you'll, you'll see... You'll succeed in the community far quicker. It's important because you're assimilating. They didn't ask you to go there. You rocked up. So it's your responsibility to fit in with them, not vice versa. I mean, we complain about this all the time in Australia, how we've got these immigrants turning up, can't even speak English, walking around, you know, dressed in, in, in clothes that were designed for the Arabian desert or something. Um, and not making any effort to fit in as well. Well, it's, it, it goes both ways. You move to Hungary, you've got to learn Hungarian. And that includes as, that's reading, writing, speaking. You've you, you got to go the whole hog. Um, and you can, look, let's say you, you choose Hungary. Let's say, you, let's say you give yourself a year to move there. Well, from Australia. Well, that's a year of learning Hungarian in Australia. You want to rock up already a long way. And that's not just like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a book once a week or something. That's like you go and get lessons and you get intensive lessons. You pay for it. It's, it's, it's an investment in investing in the country, investing in the language. You want to rock up and you're already well on your way to speaking a local language. It just makes such a huge difference. Such a huge difference. Um, opens so many doors for you knowing the language, speaking the language fluently. Really, really, really important. And if you go there, you gotta, you got to fit in. You're not the Australian in Hungary. You're like, uh, you're not making a big deal about being Australian at all. Here's, here's, when I lived in Italy, I lived in Italy for 10 years. I went to a rugby union matches a few times down in Rome, in the Stadio Flaminio, great place to watch rugby. And I saw uh, Italy versus Australia for a few, the first time I did it, I wore Australian colours. Every other time I wore the Italian colours. I was sitting with my Italian mates. I wore Italian, I bought I bought myself an Italian uh, a rugby jersey. I got it signed by some of the members of the Italian team. Still got it. Um, 
and uh, I went for a tag. Italy. I went for Italy, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even when they were playing Australia, I went for Italy. I was happy to cheer for them. And I was genuinely cheering for them. Because, because I was in Italy and I was living in Italy and I was with Italians. And that's the other thing. I, I had uh, one, two, two people, two friends, two people in my circle of my acquaintances and friends in the 10 years in Italy that um, were English, or spoke English. That's it, two. And zero Australians. Zero. Zero. I... I took Australians who lived in Italy rafting a few times, and some of them actually lived, you know, within an hour or so of me. Oh, we should catch up, we should catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zero times I caught up. Zero. I was not out there to hang around with Australians. Absolutely not. Italians, 100%, for as much as I possibly could. And that's, that's, that's critical to... And they see that. They see that as well. They see that you're speaking the language, your, your friends are Italian... You're, you're shopping in Italian shops. You're, you're sitting reading the Italian newspaper in a cafe. Really, really important that you do this. And it will make your um, immigration so much more successful for yourself. So much more successful. Um, so that's, that's where I'd go. I'd go either Singapore um, or I'd go to one of those countries in Eastern Europe. Um, Holland. Yeah, I like Holland a lot. I'm really loving Holland. Holland's fantastic. But Holland's more challenging. So it's not as cheap as the Eastern European countries I'm talking about. Um, but you gotta, you have to build up a network hard here. Um, I'm, I'm surprised at how... Don't get me wrong, there's lots of work in Holland. But it's, it's trickier. It's trickier. I still, you can definitely put it on your on your list though. You can definitely put Holland on your list. Put Holland on your list. Um, Germany, no. I'd put Austria on my list now. I'd put Austria on my list now that um, they've they've elected a, a far right government that looks like it's turning around all this stupid EU stuff. And I'd get in before they pull out of the EU. Um, and uh, Austria's beautiful. The mountain country, oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Boys, the world is your oyster. You're languishing in one of these, you know, shithole like Australia and New Zealand, where where you're made to feel guilty for being a man, for being white, for being heterosexual, attacked all the time, surrounded by women that are just fucking awful, the absolute pits, and you got the whole world on your doorstep. What do you got to lose, man? What do you got to lose? I'm 46 years old and I've done it again. How many countries have I lived in? How many countries have I lived in? In Australia, I lived in Perth. Let's just count the places I lived in. Live doesn't mean I was there a few days. Live means live. Perth, Melbourne, Sydney, Cairns. Then where? Canada, uh, Uganda, Italy, um, and and now the Netherlands. Come on, boys. Come on. Uh, you can do this if you, if you want to get it. You just you just have to do it. But so many people don't. So many people don't. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, I know what it's like, man. You get caught. Right now, at the moment, right now, at the moment, the good wife and I are looking at setting up business over here 
and I had a day the other day, and I'm like, oh, one of those one of those shitty days, you're like, oh, this will go wrong, and like, this will go wrong, and oh, this is going to be a burden, this is going to be an obstacle, and rah, 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 rah. And I was like, what are you doing, man? If you want to if you want to think of all the things that can go wrong, you want to think about all the, uh, well, not the things that can go wrong, you've got to think about those, but if you want to think about all the obstacles in your way, how hard it's going to be, oh, I'll have to do this, then I'll have to do this, oh, then I'll have to do this. If you want to think about those things, oh, you, could, you can think about those to infinity and you'll never get anything done. But once you put your mind to do it, just just do it. It sounds it sounds ridiculous. Oh, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. What do you do? Well, you're going to move to Hungary now, are you? Okay, well, you know. Uh, learn Hungarian before you go as much as you can. So Hungarian lessons. By the way, when you start Hungarian lessons, obviously you'll be doing them with an Hungarian. So you start talking to them. What parts of Hungary do you live in? Blah, 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 blah. Do you have contacts over there? You, you, are, you, are you a personal person? Can you make friends? Are you, are you, are you good with people? Well, start with your fucking Hungarian teacher. Yeah. By the time you rock up to Hungary, you're like, where, and from them, how do I get in? Blah, blah, blah. Is there a Hungarian association in, uh, in the city that you're living in? You're living in some places like Sydney, Melbourne. They, they, they've got to have a Hungarian association. Go up and join. Hey, I'm thinking of moving to Hungary. And I'll say, what? Are you crazy? Yeah, yeah. I want to move to Hungary. Yeah. Uh, did I say move to Hungary? Oh my God. I want to move to Hungary. Um, I want to learn about the culture and rah, 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 and learn about the language. And you, they'll be, they'll be so enthusiastic that you want to go there. They'll be so enthusiastic. Europeans are so proud of their countries that they're so happy when people take the time to learn the language and take the time to be interested in their, in their culture and their history and become passionate about it themselves. I think that's the best thing ever. Um, and you'd be surprised how many doors open if you go in with that attitude. So that's my advice for Chris. Um, and that's my advice for uh, anyone else who's listening to this podcast. Of course, if you want to hear about, about traveling, if you want to get some information about inspiration, about you know how to move around the world, how to do all this stuff, well, just get my, my, my two books. Pushing Rubber Downhill, I, I, I move from, in the book, I go from Perth to Sydney, then I go up to Cairns, then I go to Canada, then I go to Uganda, then I go to Italy, and all the time, all the obstacles, and how did I get through it, blah, 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 blah. Then the second book, Run Guts, Pull Cones, about a rafting season in Italy, all the challenges of living overseas, there you go. That's what my books are about. They're not just about, you know, manhood and masculinity and working with, with, with guys and it's it's about how do I how do I hold my house ass around the world, which is getting pretty prescient now with how how things are going in the Anglo-Saxon world. Things if, if I was Canada, I'd be thinking about the same thing. Getting out England, oh my God, England have just passed basically speech laws where if you write anything on social media and someone else objects to it, now you're a criminal. It's completely arbitrary. I mean, this is ridiculous. This free speech is just gone in England. This is an Anglo-Saxon disease that's going on. And if you're living in an Anglo-Saxon country now, you're susceptible to being caught up in this disease. The prog disease is a pathology. It's a pathology. All right. So, yeah, buy my books. You can get them at my um, blog, pushingrubberdownhill.com. Uh, uh, links there on SoundCloud. Follow me on SoundCloud. Follow my blog as well. I'm getting close to 200 email followers on the blog. Um, <coughs> And hopefully hit the magic 200 number now. Help me hit that magic 200 number quickly. 
Follow my blog, guys. Um, you can get my books from my blog or on Amazon or Book Depository or wherever you want to pick up the books. Shout-outs to Captain Capitalism, Aaron Clary, um, who uh, supports my blog, supports me in a big way, linked to me this week to one of my uh, pieces, which always gives me a really big um, uh, boost. Uh, you can go and see him at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. He's got a bunch of books out. Uh, how many books does Cappy have? Out? How many books has Cappy got out? He's got uh, Bachelor Pad Economics, Poor Rich's Retirement, Curse of the High IQ, Worthless, the uh, young person's uh, uh, guide to choosing a, uh, a right major. Well, these days just don't go unless it's STEM. Reconnaissance Man, Enjoy the Decline, The Black Man's Guide Out of Poverty, Behind the Housing Crash, Captain Capitalism Top Shelf. Uh, he's got two editions of that. Privatising Governments, um, Captain's Quarterly and Boris the Shitting Buffalo, uh, which is a bit of a joke one. That's a lot of books and he writes them really well. And uh, he's a and also has his own consultancy business, Arsenal Consultant, where he will um, attempt to solve to answer your questions about your your miserable lives and how how you can turn things around. So go check him out. He's a big supporter of me, so I'm a big supporter of him. And I'd be a big supporter of him if he wasn't a big supporter of me. Um, that's it. That's the podcast. That's episode 61. Thanks for listening. I hope it was uh, enjoyable for you. I hope it was helpful. Uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, and, um, yeah, don't you go changing. Talk to you later.